Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says, promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. This is the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Rossman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. This week's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. We're going to continue with these team-themed episodes. I don't know how long you can listen to me talk about Manoa Ball and James Wiseman being overrated. So let's let's focus on these, these teams. We've done the Knicks. We've done the Hawks. Let's dive into the Washington Wizards this week with Fred Katz, beat writer for The Athletic. Um covering the Washington Wizards. What's going on, Fred? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, apparently basketball's coming back, huh? That's what they say. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that's what the Twitter.com <laughs> says, that it's uh, it's coming back in a bubble in Orlando, and it seems like there's like updates every five minutes on why it may not work or why it might work. But the Wizards are invited, which, um, you know, good for them. Honestly, when I look at that roster... Um, obviously, a 24 and 40 record isn't, you know, good. But uh, there were eight teams that were worse. And when I look at the roster and, and Walls out, and you know, obviously Bradley Beal's a stud. But uh, you know, the roster's pretty limited in terms of talent, in terms of like veteran, you know, leadership. A lot of young guys. What was the general feeling about how the season went up until now? Was it kind of? I mean, I'd imagine the bar was low, but. Was there a little bit of like excitement, the, the fact that like, you know, they're actually invited to go to to, to Orlando? You know, I think uh, I think the Wizards were invited. Good for them would be a great wizard slogan, as you just <laughs> said it. I think that's like the perfect marketing pitch. Um, I, I guess there is excitement. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a, it's kind of a situation where. If you can continue playing basketball, you want to be able to continue playing basketball as long as the conditions are safe and the NBA does it the right way, which, you know, we'll see. We haven't seen any sort of COVID plan that they've released, so the jury's still out on that part of it. But I think they wanted to keep playing. I think you talk to them and they say they wanted to keep playing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I look, they, they know that they're 24 and 40. I don't think they're delusional about their record I don't think that they have any sort of um you know I think they they're gonna go in there and and hope they can maybe make some noise for a playoff seed I guess but I also anticipate there's a realistic chance that they're all they're gonna come in and they're gonna be intelligent with how many minutes they play the few vets that they have on the roster and they're not going to try to overwork Bradley Beal and all those sorts of things and I don't know if they've gotten into the nuance of the plan yet that's more just kind of my guess for how they're going to do things. Um, but like, you know, you're 24 and 40. What what could you, you know, it's not like you could expect them to come in and go six and two in their final eight games and win the double elimination playing game and challenge the Bucks in the first round. Like that's not a realistic expectation for a 24 and 40 team. <laughs> Right, and, and Wall's not playing. Did they, did they make any official announcement about Wall? Or are we just they haven't made an official announcement, but they, he's not playing, no. Right. No, so, he has he has said about eighteen times he's <laughs> he's he's not going to play. They don't want him to play. 
he hasn't played five on five with his with his teammates regularly yet. These he had been playing five on five in like controlled scrimmages with the G League team about twice a week on on a minutes limit. And he has said to me that he doesn't want to come back until he's no longer on a minutes limit. Like he wants to just be able to play and go. And also, I don't think they view it as particularly productive to have him come back playing like five or four of the eight games and then potentially sustain a, a re-injury or something like that, which would prevent him from missing the start of next year. Yeah, this would be such a weird time to come back. Um, you know, I don't know if there's going to be an asterisk on, on whoever plays well or, or goes far in this thing, but yeah, it would be too weird for Wall to come back uh, at this time. So, so Washington is in like, when I think of this team, it's such a... It's such a weird. They're in such a weird state, uh, like kind of in between, right? Where you, they're they've been pretty adamant about keeping Beal, um, but obviously he's on a different timeline with a lot of the young guys in the roster. And I have trouble. I hear both sides of you know keeping Beal and trading Beal. I don't really know what the right answer is. Uh, obviously, Washington seems to you know put it out there that they're holding on to him. What do you think, as somebody who covers the team? You know, what is your take on how they should approach? you know, playing with Beal for the next however long? Well, they're not going to trade him this summer. I see a lot of talk of, like, Team X is interested in Bradley Beal. Right. And my reaction to that is always, no kidding. Like, I, I feel like I could probably, I could very confidently say that the Wizards would like to sign Anthony Davis to a minimum contract this summer when he becomes a free agent. <laughs> I don't think I need sources to be able to say that. I'm incredibly confident in that. But that doesn't mean that they are going to sign Anthony Davis to a minimum contract this summer. Uh, it takes two to make a trade. The Wizards don't want to trade him. And I think more importantly, Bradley Beal does not want to be traded. He still has two years left on his contract. And he seems dead set on wanting to make it work with John Wall this upcoming season. And he's talked about it all year. It's I, I think it's right up there amongst his, his number one priorities with why he wants to stay. He is... Um, He's a very, he doesn't like change. He's a guy who doesn't really like change. He's not somebody who I think is necessarily a ring chaser. Something that he's talked about is is that he kind of believes that one, if you do it, and I'm putting this in air quotes because everybody has their own right way and you got to do what's best for you if you're a player. But if he does it, you know, the air quotes right way, sticks it out with an organization, finally wins a title in year 12. I think he believes that one title is more meaningful than if you're just like the third banana on a super team in your first year there and you have no emotional connection with the fan base and the city and the coach and the organization and management and the teammates and all that kind of stuff. And I think he subscribes to that. That doesn't mean he's talked about wanting to retire a wizard and wizard and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that he is going to retire a wizard. I think he'd rather win a title with the wizards than win a title with someone else but if I can put myself in his head, I also think there there could easily come a point where he says, I'd rather win 50 games with another team than win 28 games with the Wizards. And, and that moment could come. It's incredibly plausible that that moment comes. But it's not going to come this summer because I think he wants to see how it works with Wall. Now, if it goes totally south with Wall off the bat, if he's just not the same player when he comes back from the Achilles injury... Then all of a sudden, the Wizards have to address that before the trade deadline. They have to have a conversation with Beal, and they have to say, okay, is this where you still want to be? And if he says, well, it's obvious this isn't working, John's not the player he used to be, then 
maybe you have to trade him before February's trade deadline. The circumstances have changed then. But if Beal is insistent on wanting to be back, you still have two years. The Wizards think that they're going to, you know, the Wizards expect a, a good John Wall to return. I don't know what, what John Wall's going to look like when he comes back. It would be great if he looked great. I don't know. He's coming back from a major Achilles rupture. So we'll see. I just, I, I there's no possible way that I could project that any better than any other person who knows what an Achilles is, you know? Right. But but with, with Brad, I think he just wants to see how it works with John, and then they're going to go from there. Right. No, it sounds like he wants to, you know, die trying in Washington, and, and of course every fan, you know, loves to hear that. But, like, what's the sell? What Give me the selling point. So say, let's say John Wall comes back and he is the exact same player. Now, when he was that exact same player, Washington was good, but they still couldn't get over the hump. And now their supporting pieces are, are, are pretty young, like – Let's say let's say Wall comes back and he is the same star caliber player just like he was. Why why should this team suddenly get over the hump now? It's a fair question. They <laughs> were they were never a fifty win team. They haven't won fifty games since nineteen seventy nine. Wow, it's crazy. Longest streak in the league. Wow, it's That's a totally sad. it's a totally fair question. If John comes back and he's the same player and Beal is better, and they win forty four games. And they lose in the first round to, like, the Heat. Why would Beal want to stay with that? My answer to that is, honestly, I just I can't tell the future. I can only tell you what the guys are thinking right now. And right now, Beal says he wants to stay a wizard and he wants to make it work. And right now, the Wizards say there's no way that they are trading Bradley Beal. You can call him up. You can make an offer. It won't matter. They're not doing it. So... I can't necessarily predict it. I could see that going a million ways. I mean, I could. There's a there's a world where they John comes back. He's great. They only win 44 games, and Beal says, "You know what? It's he's really good again, but this this isn't enough. We're not good enough. It might be best off for you to trade me now." Right. That's plausible. Uh, there's a world where he says, "John's awesome again. We're winning." Even when they were winning in the mid-40s, they, they won three three playoff series. Maybe they win a playoff series, and Brad says, okay, this was a building year. Let's do it again. I want to do it again. And the Wizards say, you know what? We're going to take our chances with resigning him in free agency, and we are not going to trade him because he's only 26 years old, and he's the second-leading scorer in the league. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one is going to happen. There are just too many ifs and and too many hypotheticals baked, baked into that situation. Uh, but But for now... They're they're not they're not trading them this summer at least it's not happening in the immediate future right right the only he- right the hesitation is like we've already seen what Washington's ceiling looks like kind of at full strength so you know why do they why would they continue to revisit that same lineup built around the same two guys who are studs and can get them right to mid forty wins but the other guys and we're going to get into the other guys that's fair I mean I think if you ask them I mean that don't get me wrong that's a completely fair question to ask. They've, they've never been elite. They've been good. They've been good. Built around Beal and Wall, but they've never been elite. Mm-hmm. I think if you ask them, they're high on Rui Hachimura. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Rui is very good at the things that he's good at, and he has a long, long, long way to go at the things he's not good at. He doesn't know how to defend yet. He doesn't know how to get defensive positioning. He's still very much like he is He is an absolutely raw passer in terms of just his feel passing, right? Like he, it's not just that he's not a facilitator or a distributor. It's like he, he, he will miss 
swings to the corner within the flow of the offense and that sort of stuff. So that's something he absolutely has to get better at. And if the offense wants to be at full capability, then that's the case. Uh, and, and I think the other thing that they would tell you is that Bradley Beal is a much better player now than he was the last time John Wall was healthy. Right. That's where, the selling point for me. Like Beal is yeah. just a better player. He's like a higher level of superstar than he was a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. And and to me, when when John comes back, the thing that they're going to have to do is they're going to kind of have to relearn how to play together. Because even if Wall is the exact same caliber player, he's not going to be the exact same player. If he is, that's kind of sad. Because the last time he was really healthy, not like pre-Achilles, because he had bone spurs and that kind of stuff he was playing through. He had knee problems. He had that kind of stuff he was playing through. The last time he was like really healthy, which is crazy, was at the end of the 2017 season. So more than three years ago now was the last time he played a game and was really healthy. And think about how different of a player Bradley Beal is now than he was then. And think about how much John Wall could advance from age 26, which is what he was at the end of the 2017 season, to what he's going to be at the start of next year, which is 30 years old. You want to see a player make mental advancements in the way that they play and the style that they play and all that kind of stuff from age 26 to age 30, no matter how much their physical skills either advance or deteriorate, right? And so they're going to have to learn how to play together And there's a baseline they already know that they're going to have to kind of forget. Bradley Beal today is a significantly better pick and roll distributor than he was three years ago. He's a better one-on-one scorer. He's better getting to and finishing around the rim. He got to the line like he's gotten to the line like eight and a half times a game this year. He was never doing that kind of stuff, especially on that scoring streak when he got really hot at the end of the year. He was like a free throw glutton. That that was not Bradley Beal before. He's a very different offensive player. He went from being like a strict off-ball, running off screens, catch-and-shoot shooting guard to really being a combo guard. Like he almost played this year similarly to like a, like a he's not as good as James Harden, but stylistically, he was playing that similar type of role to James Harden, right? Just getting his six assists a game and, and running isolations and getting the high pick and rolls when he wants some and everything was running through him and he might as well have been the team's point guard in terms of the way he executed he was so they're gonna have to relearn how to play together and if that works if they relearn how to play together well then there's a opportunity of course if John Wall is still the same kind of guy there's an opportunity for them to maybe advance where they were before because Beal is so much better. And the last time they were together, Beal was 23, and now he's in his prime and so much more advanced. But that's, of course, you know, the optimistic way to look at it and the best-case scenario. And there's another scenario, which might be just as likely, in which they go the other direction. Yeah, so some of the points you just made, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, damn, now you're going to have Wall come back and take the ball out of Beal's hands, who just became so good with the offense running through him. And like you've said... Beal has changed so much. When he was in Florida, I mean, even earlier in his NBA career, but, you know, I watched him in Florida. He, he was an off-ball guy. He was uh, run off screens, spot up. Um, he wasn't an assist guy, and now you can run an offense through him. And now he's gotten to this level of, like, number one playmaker and scorer for your team. And then Wall comes back, and Wall's not really an off-ball guy. The ball has to go, you know, through Wall. He's the guy who handles uh, on the ball for the majority of, of possessions. And so, you know, I wonder now how they're going to coexist and uh, if it's going to take anything away from Beal. I know they're not going to trade 
Wall that probably couldn't even do it. But it makes you think, like, wouldn't Wall be a little bit better if his number two co-star was a different position? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've really wondered about, I'd like to write about at some point, is John Wall has always been really stoic off the ball. When he doesn't have the ball, he has this habit of going to the corner or hanging out in the wing and just kind of standing there and not moving and not cutting and not running off screens. And you look at the amount of off-ball screens that he ran off of, and it's just not a lot. And he tended to be very, very stagnant when he didn't actually have the ball, which was a stark contrast to how he was when he did have the ball, when he was so incredibly active all the time, right? Bradley Beal, on the other hand, to this day, even as a guy who handles the ball a lot more, they're still running him off screens. He getting the ball, he's getting the ball off dribble handoffs. I mean, they were a really successful offensive team this year, 13th in offensive efficiency right now on NBA.com. And it could... It was higher for a lot of the year till they started having a lot of injuries. And part of the reason why they're basically higher than um, higher than maybe the talent on that team would, would make you think they're going to be, certainly way higher than anybody thought they were going to be coming into the year, is that they run. They are very active offensively. They, they love dribble handoffs. They run guys off of those. They love running guys off pin downs. And Beal is just a pest off the ball. And that's a sort of, those are offensive traits that you never really ran in a John Wall offense, right? Because John Wall is lots of high pick and roll and spread for him and let him do his thing. And he's going to go to the hoop or he's going to kick to the guy in the corner or he's going to kick to the guy in the corner who's then going to, who's going to, you know, start a a go around at the top of the three point line. They're just going to swing around three point line and find somebody like there were simple high pick and roll reliant sets with John Wall. And that was kind of how they did things. And there's a lot more off-ball motion here. I mean, it's hard to have as much off-ball motion if Wall's going to play the way he did because when Wall wants to go, like he wants to go. And if you've got a guy running off a pin down or something in the middle of the floor and he's at the elbow, now all of a sudden there's an extra help defender coming over who might not have otherwise been there when Wall darts at the hoop. And when Wall wants to improv and somebody else wants to run across the middle of the floor, it just it can become a little bit too crowded for Wall. Uh, so there are certain things they're going to have to aspects they're going to have to take from this offense and put into next year's offense because this offense was successful and that's the way to do it. And Wall is going to have to learn how to adjust his style to make that work. I don't think you need to run the things the exact same way. It doesn't have to be as egalitarian as it was this year in some ways, especially when Beal was off the floor. But that being said, like I think both sides, the schemes and Wall himself are going to have to adjust on that. Like Wall's going to have to learn how to run off those pin downs and run off dribble handoffs and just He's going to have to do back cut from the corner every once in a while and, and, and get a dunk or a layup out of it. Like Those sorts of things are going to have to be added to his game for him to be as successful as possible and for the team to be as successful as possible with him out there. Before we continue, i got to give a quick shout-out to Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. 
Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Let's talk about the other guys who are going to be playing with him. Um, and, and so you, you already talked about Rui, and he's such an important like swing player for this franchise, I guess you could say. And I'll admit, when they drafted Rui, I was like, holy shit, this was not the guy I thought they were going to take. Uh, I had him mid-20s. Um, and uh, for the, pretty much the exact reasons that you already talked about before, you pretty much, you pretty much reread my my pre-draft scouting report on him um, in terms of doesn't really know, doesn't really have a good feel as a passer, as a defender, and uh, you know I'm just not really buying the three ball. Um, so, is it you know what's the what's the path like for Rui and, and his fit with these with with Wall and Beal and and his potential trajectory in Washington? Rui is fascinating to me because he's going offensively, he's going to have to get to a point where what's best for him is also best for the team offense. Because right now, he is the best when he has the ball in his hands, right? But the actual offense is not the best when he's the guy with the ball in his hands the most. And when those two things run counter to each other, that's when you have a guy who turns into, as I think it was Bill Simmons who created the term, right? Good, good stats, bad team guy. And that's, that's when you kind of have that sort of player, when those two things run counter to each other. And right now, this season, that's a little bit what he was. But he was a rookie. So the vast majority of rookies fit that description. Almost no rookies come in and are just automatic winning players. To me, the number one offensive trait that he has to improve on, everybody talks about his three-point shooting, and I don't mean to demean that. It's obviously important. He has two different forms with his mid-range shot and his three-point shot. He's a, he's a very good mid-range shooter, but he has two different forms on his mid-range shot and his three-point shot, which is like the telltale sign of a guy who's not comfortable shooting from three, right? Ironically, John Wall is kind of the same. John Wall shoots like a set shot from three and is, is much more fluid. And jumps much more when he shoots on mid-range shots. But that's kind of the telltale sign of the guy who's not quite as comfortable shooting threes as you would hope he would be. But to me, the thing with Rui that is the most important because it's the thing that can turn him the most into, all right, this guy is going to be good playing with other really good players, is what kind of a passer is he going to become? And like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean, all right, he's got to be a four assist a game forward who you're giving the ball to and is distributing, and is creating for teammates off the dribble, and all that kind of stuff. I I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. But I do think he needs to be making those intuitive passes within the offense, those swings within the offense. I think he has to be making those cuts to to be able to get open. I think those sorts of, of, of things, those little subtleties are more important to what he can become. I'm certain the Wizards believe he can become that. They're big on the fact that he didn't start playing until late compared to other NBA players. He didn't start playing basketball until he was a teenager. And he didn't start playing against really, really high-level players until he was like, you know, a late teenager, right? And so they're really big on the fact that his improvement arc started later and thus he is earlier in his improvement arc than the average 22-year-old NBA player. And that makes sense. I mean, we've definitely seen that 
with other players. They're also big on the fact that because he didn't play AAU and because he didn't start playing until late, that he doesn't have as much, like the medicals aren't necessarily as worrisome as some other guys who have a lot more miles on their odometer. That makes perfect sense too. I think there are a lot of other teams who are going to start looking at at prospects who started playing late in that similar sort of way. I think that's going to become a common thought process, honestly, especially with so much thought now given to like overworking young guys during the AAU season. Uh, But I think the ultimate thing for him is going to be just making those intuitive plays within the offense. Defensively, he really struggled this year. Almost all rookies really struggle when they first come in. It's funny because I was talking to, I mean, the Wizards in general really struggled on defense, last in points allowed per possession this year. And they got better in the last month of the season after they traded Isaiah Thomas, but still last in points allowed per possession. And I was talking to somebody with the team and I was kind of saying to them, like, let's say you guys re-sign Bertans this summer. You're kind of locked into this core in that case, right? Who is the wing defender? Like you have the mid-level exception, but who who amongst this crew, let's just say you don't sign anyone, who amongst this crew is the wing defender? And this person said, well, we're kind of hoping Rui can become that. Like we think he has the athleticism and the quickness and the length to be able to do that. Now, I haven't seen that. I just, I haven't, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that he's been able to do that at all. But I think there are there are people there. I, I don't want to say this is how the organization feels, but this is what this person said to me that like if it's gonna be a person who's going out there and guarding good wings and guarding good big wings, Rui they hope could end up being that guy. And I don't know if I think that, but that's that's kind of what they're projecting. We didn't see that during his rookie year though. We definitely no, didn't. We definitely didn't see that at Gonzaga either. And uh, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I hate to be a pessimist, but I don't see him being a wing defender. And that kind of is, is a good segue here to the draft uh, because there are a handful of good wing defenders who are going to be available to them. Right now, they're projected to pick ninth. They have, uh, what is it, a 20% chance to get in the top four. Um, I think if we're talking around the nine range, which is you know more likely where they end up, there are... Devin Vassell to me from Florida State is somebody who jumps out who uh, I just recently wrote about as a fit for Washington and somebody they should target even even if it's considered a reach at number nine just based on how well he fits and Isaac Okoro uh, from Auburn is another guy who is like a lockdown wing guy who can guard bigs as well but let's say they let's say they get lucky in the lottery right 20% chance to get a top four pick I think the biggest question when I you know do my mock drafts and stuff is what happens if the best player available to them is a point guard. I mean, is it possible that they would take a point guard? Or is it like, well, if they can get LaMelo, they get LaMelo. But otherwise, they're really going to focus on filling a need like like the wing defense? I think it's possible they take a point guard. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I don't think they're prioritizing taking a point guard. But if they believe the best player available is a point guard, I think they'll take him. Tommy Shepard told me flat out in a story I ran. Man, it must have been two months ago now. Yeah, it was probably two months ago now, but I had that up on the Athletic DC. And Tommy Shepard flatly told me, like, chances are we're going best player available. So if that's the case, then you're not saying best player available, but not a guard who is able to facilitate and create. He's just a best player available. So I think it's plausible they take a point guard. I know, I know there are 
offseason priority is trying to find a center who can who can play some defense and protect the rim because they don't have that. I mean, Thomas Bryant is a very good offensive center who, you know, it really struggles defensively. And Mo Wagner is a little bit redundant with that. He's a he's a good, efficient offensive center who, you know, people get really excited because he takes charges, but he fouls an unbelievable amount and, and and will get beat and get caught out of position. And he and Bryant play really hard. It's not an effort issue. They both play super hard, but they're just not they're not impactful defenders at all. And I think that's something they want considering how much they struggled defensively this year. I I they could use the mid-level exception in order to try to acquire a center who is able to like play defense and defensive rebound and and you know deter penetrators at the rim and all that kind of stuff. You're far more likely to get an impactful defensive player with the mid-level exception than you are if you draft a rookie with the number nine pick in a weak draft class. Like maybe maybe the center that you draft ends up becoming a good defender, but at least for the 2020-21 season when they say they want to be competitive that guy is probably not going to make a giant defensive impact for you right away. So, yeah, it's possible they take a point guard. I guess it depends on who the point guard is, which is how, you know, I I can't really answer how it would work, what they would do about that, what that would mean. Uh, But I will say that I think with the way the game is played today, it's less and less of a controversial move to draft a point guard when you already have two, two big name and highly paid guards, right? Like it's, there are successful teams who play with two point guards and a shooting guard, you know, a throwback shooting guard. And, uh, you see that all the time. You see teams going really small. You see the, 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 I I believe the best five man unit in the league this year amongst qualifying lineups is the Thunder's three point guard unit, right? With Gallinari and Steven Adams. And then they play Schroeder and Chris Paul and, uh, Shea Gillis Alexander together. You can you can be and they play those in spot minutes. They close with those. I mean, it's it's different than just playing eighteen minutes a game with that lineup. But but you can get away with with having two really good point guards and a shooting guard out there for sure. It's all about now. It's it's creating and it's it's scoring and it's it's having playmakers out there and being able to have shooting. And if you feel like the best, that's the best player, I I would understand that pick and. Uh, I think it's it's within the realm of possibilities that it happens if they have strong beliefs that the best player happens to be a point guard. Yeah, I would think that the Wizards kind of completely just forget about position in this draft, and they're still in just talent acquisition mode. And, and I'm with you. I think they could play LaMelo with Wall and play Beal you know, on the wing at the three. I don't think it really makes much of a difference. Killian Hayes, another guy who I think is going to be in that best player available uh position when Washington's on the board and Tyrese Halliburton um, guys with enough versatility to I think just fit in and at the same time potentially you know take the keys from Wall if he eventually uh, does slow down um, and another guy we should probably talk about Onyeka Okongwu um, we're talking you're talking about defensive minded centers he's probably the top uh, rim protector in this year's draft what about James Wiseman I mean I should have probably brought him up earlier um, so I just did um uh, a tankathon simulator thing where uh, it creates the order and Washington got lucky. They picked third. Um, and, and listen, he's not, I've talked about it all year. He's not top five for me, but there are NBA teams who have him number one overall. And so I'm curious what you think if, if Wiseman falls to, uh, to Washington um, and he fills that, that hole at center 
and he gives you potential rim protection, 7-6 wingspan, athleticism that really, you know, Bryant and Wagner don't bring. What do you think about Wiseman's fit when you have Rui, who's not really a floor stretcher, and Wall, who's kind of, you know, had his problems from the perimeter? Wiseman's going to be, a, like, an interesting talking point, I'd imagine, in, in uh, Washington's draft room if he is available to them. Yeah, he will be an interesting talking point. I mean, John Wall has been saying for years that he would like an athletic big man who could be a rim runner and protect the rim on the other end. And in an ideal scenario, that's what Wiseman is. My my thing with Wiseman that, that I'm just kind of curious about is, you know, we were just talking about how having as many playmakers on the floor is really what you want in the modern game. Like almost the idea of a stretch four, the classic idea of a stretch four just stands there and shoots threes and doesn't do anything else offensively. Even that's a little bit of a relic in today's game, right? Like now, now it's not even just stretch fours and stretch fives. You want a playmaking four. Yep. And it, at some point, we are, I mean, we've gotten to that this point with the elite of the elite centers, with the Joel Embiid's and the Carl Townsies and those guys, where we're going from, we're going to want playmaking fives, not just stretch fives. We're, you're you're going to want guys who are actually able to do something when they have the ball, even if they're seven feet. And to me, Wiseman is more of like, maybe he'll shoot threes. But to me, he's more of like a like a 2015 big man, which is the guy who's going to set screens and he's going to be big and he's going to throw down these above the rim lobs and he's going to be a rim protector and all these other things like that. And I wonder if you're picking number one, if that or two or three, if the game is going to progress a little bit past the guy like that. That being said, you might be more willing to put up with that flaw if in a draft like this draft, where I think there are reasonable questions about all of these guys in the top 10, right? More so than in your average year. Uh, but but I think that's a reasonable thing with him. I think that's a reasonable criticism of his skill set and the way that he plays. And I also think it's reasonable to point out that like, okay, if he's going to be this rolling rim diving center and you have Hachimura out there and you have John Wall out there, who is a below average three-point shooter for his career, is that going to work? Can you have three below average three-point shooters out there on the floor or three guys who are better inside the three-point line, regardless of what their percentages are outside the floor? And uh, I would say at best, that's not ideal. And at worst, that turns into a really bad offense. So I, I think it's something they would consider. I think if they think he's the best player, I still think they're at the point of like, just go get the best player. Mm -hmm. Like John Wall's contract is for three more years. If you can, if you have a guy, like if you believe this guy is going to be awesome, just get him. And I think that's really the way to do it. Don't worry about the fit. Don't worry about, oh no, what's going to happen with the offense now. This, this little nuanced uh, dynamic is going to be a little bit worse off for it. Just go get the best player. But I do think that those criticisms and those potential flaws that could come with him are, are at least worth noting and worth being part of the conversation and leading up to whatever decision you end up making. Yeah, I think some of his weaknesses are really similar to Rui's. I don't think he's a not much of a passer. He's not going to average more than assists per game. I don't think he really has a good feel in terms of reacting defensively away from the basket, and I'm not buying him shooting threes anytime soon. So, uh, you know, I could understand him them thinking he's the top talent available, but, uh, man, just not for this particular roster, even though they do have that hole. 
at the five. Any idea if they've been doing um, like extensive research on Denny Avdia from Israel because he's an, an interesting fit with the lineup? I mean, I'm sure they've looked into him, but I I don't know if like they've done any extra work on him specifically or anything like that. I mean, they they have needs all over though. Like I'm I'm sure they've looked into him. They've got a high pick and they could use a wing too. We talk about a big man, but they could really use a wing. Like they don't really have a starting three. Right. They just so I, don't. Right. So like, Dia, uh, you know, the reason why I'm kind of buying Evdia is if he does hit his ceiling and he does, uh, the, the flashes turn into regular occurrences. He kind of is the type of guy that you've been talking about, where he is almost like a secondary playmaker on the floor. He averaged five assists at the U20 European Championships. He's six eight. I think I'm buying his defensive versatility, being a guy who can guard threes and fours. Um, there's a lot of questions about his shooting, but uh, I mean he's making a, th- a three every game. He's done that for a couple of years. His free throw percentage raises some concerns, but I think you know his his game is all about versatility, and I think he'd be a nice fit uh, at the wing, which is another nice segue to Troy Brown Jr. Troy Brown, I mean I don't I, I didn't get to see enough of him, so I hope you can tell me something about you know what he's been doing there. Uh, Troy Brown coming out of Oregon was um, an interesting prospect. Uh, because of his versatility at both ends of the floor. Actually, in high school, he was more of like a point wing. I know he doesn't really have that role in Washington. Um, but if I had to fear about Troy Brown, is that he does a lot does a lot of things, but nothing you know super great. He doesn't have any bankable skill that's going to be his moneymaker in the NBA. Um, on the other hand, he was drafted at 18 years old, which is another big selling point. He had so much time to improve each skill of his particular skill set. So what is Troy Brown showing? Is he somebody that Washington can feel good about you know, building with for the future? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's a future star or anything like that, but I think he's going to be like a really good bench player. I think that's probably what you're getting with Troy Brown because he ultimately, I don't think he's going to end up having many huge holes in his game. You know, mm-hmm. he's for for a secondary or tertiary creator off the bench, that kind of stuff. He's pretty good. He's already pretty good. He's got much better feel uh, running pick and rolls this year so much better as a rookie last year it's the second year now so as 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 a rookie last year he'd run pick and rolls and he did the rookie thing where he's like okay the screen is here so now i go around the screen okay i go around the screen what's my first read i'm gonna look there okay my second read i look there and it was this very very regimented thought process you could see him thinking again that's fine he's a rookie we're too harsh on rookies He's a 19-year-old rookie at the time. That's fine. What you want to do is you want to see signs of incremental improvement, right? I started to see that at last year's Summer League when he's going up against obviously worse than NBA competition because it's Summer League, but all of a sudden you see the screen come and he doesn't just go right away. He started to prod more. And I thought he did that so much better this year. And the thing about him is that he's very smart. I mean, he is incredibly smart. And so it's not surprising to see, all right, he he went through his first year, he soaked up all this knowledge, and now he's using that knowledge to make more patient and informed decisions on the court. You can tell the game is not as fast for him, and I thought that was very encouraging. And I thought that showed for him as a distributor. I thought that showed occasionally in his shot selection. I definitely thought that showed in his confidence. I think his confidence can go in and out a little bit at times. I don't know if that's a personality thing or if it's just the fact that he's 20 years old and that is how 20-year-olds are when they're playing in the NBA for the most part. 
because uh, I think he can get get a little on and off with that. But I think he's going to be solid. Like I, I think he has the mind to eventually become a really solid team defender. He's not a great athlete, and he's not like unbelievably long or unbelievably strong or anything like that. So I don't think he's going to be this lockdown, one-on-one defensive type of guy. I don't think he necessarily has that in him. But I do think he's shown signs of being like a, a really, really reliable team defender, just kind of the guy who's always in the right space, a guy who anticipates passing lanes well on the weak side, who might be able to get a hand on, you know, cross-court passes for deflections and that kind of stuff, which is obviously a valuable trait. And just having a defender who's in the right spot really is going to help you. I think that development for him is going to have a lot to do with whether the Wizards can surround him with decent defenders because part of the reason that I was worried the most about the Wizards defense this year was not necessarily all the points they gave up it was that so many guys were in the wrong positions so often that I would I'm just worried their their young defenders are going to develop these bad habits because they're going to have to wrote they they spent a whole year rotating to the wrong place to make up for other people rotating to the wrong place you know and that just develops all these bad habits potentially for the future in some people and and that's just that's not what you want for your young guys. Uh, but I thought he did, given the circumstances, an okay job. And, and I think you ask anybody there and they think the intellectual parts of the game, he's going to be really good on those. The shot is not all the way there, but it's a little bit better. And the three-point percentage went up a little bit this year. I think he was 34%, slightly below league average. I think if he can turn into 35 36% from three, that's like fine enough. I think he's just going to end up being a, a nice, reliable, smart player who can run your offense for short stints and and who's just kind of going to be a guy who's going to be in the right place at the right time, good cutter, and a nice contributor for, for winning basketball off the bench, which is fine. With the 15th pick, it's like, that's okay. That That's good value right there. Yeah, no, particularly for this roster too. I think if he, uh, he keeps going down the path he's going and keeps making the the improvements. He's the type of player who could be a nice fit um, at the three spot. And then the last guy let's let's touch on is Jerome Robinson. I know he didn't play much um, for for Washington after getting sent there, but uh, Robinson was a guy um, who I I mean I bought into him his his junior year of college. And usually when you buy in like really late, it's kind of uh, sometimes like naturally you just kind of get bored with the same guys and you want to find a new guy to jump on their wagon. And Robinson was a late riser up draft boards. Like scouts didn't talk about him until like the last month of the season, despite the fact that they've seen him for for three years. Um, And then he jumps up into the lottery. uh, He goes to the Clippers and can't really get any burn there because of they added all these stars or whatever. But anyway, a nice little pickup for for Washington. Um, Were they able to see any, the Wizards able to see anything from him? Is there still, you know, lottery talent there to unlock? They like him. You know, they, they had him pretty high on their draft board. Uh, he was the same draft year as as Troy Brown, and they had him pretty high on their draft board. I, I want to say, oh, I actually know this, and it's slipping my mind. I'm not doing my job as a reporter now where I'm not just supposed to find out information. I'm supposed to actually remember it. They, they had him high on their draft board. I can't remember if they had him or Troy Brown actually higher, but they had him high on their draft board. And... Um, that's kind of a thing that they do where they tend to hold true to the the draft rankings that they had for these guys pre-draft and if a guy comes out maybe struggles as a rookie struggles for his first year and a half 
if they saw something in that guy, they're prone to take a risk on that guy. That was the same thing they did with Mo Wagner, who was the same draft class. And when the Lakers were trying to free up some extra money in the Anthony Davis trade so they can maintain max cap room, they had a trade exception. They called him up and they were like, hey, Mo Wagner really struggled for you guys. But it wasn't a coincidence. They weren't just like, hey, yeah, we'll take Bonga and Wagner. Wagner was really high on their draft board. They really liked him. And Wagner was pretty good this year. I mean, he showed that he is an NBA player who can actually contribute to an NBA offense. And I think they had very similar logic when they traded IT for Jerome Robinson. Uh, I think they like him defensively. Scott Brooks likes him a lot defensively. Their big thing with him, and we'll see if he can shoot because he just hasn't been shown a propensity to be able to make shots at the NBA level. But their big thing, their insistence is that it's all about confidence with him and that they think that he gets down on himself too much. And if he misses a shot, he's always thinking about the shot that he previously missed far too much. So that's that's their big thing. I haven't really developed an opinion yet. I see it defensively. I mean, he's pretty good defensively. That was the reason he got playing time with the Clippers. It wasn't because of his offense. He really struggled offensively, and the, they had, you know, he had a, a, some some major confidence struggles there too. But the reason he was seeing the floor was because he was defending well, which is funny considering it's kind of against the book of what people thought he was going to be when he came out of college, right? But yep. but it's just kind of the player that that he's turned into. I'm not sure what he's going to be yet. I know they like him. That said, like, no risk in in going out and getting him for a guy who was going to be a free agent and wasn't contributing to your team much anyway, you know, a vet like IT. Like, what's the risk there? Go out, get the young guy on the rookie contract, and if he doesn't work out, who cares? I mean, I think their philosophy is just cast the wide net. Go get the bongas and the Pasichniks and the, the Wagners and the Jerome Robinsons and the Gary Payton the seconds and and these guys who teams are just kind of giving away and just go get those guys and if you hit on a few of them you know the batting average doesn't matter right you can create as many at bats for yourself as you possibly want only the number of hits matters so just go out there and see how many hits that you can get and it's i think very similar to kind of what the nets did when they're just kind of trying to find find these guys and end up with the guys like the Spencer Dimwitties of the world. And I think they're trying to do a similar a similar type of thing. And I think when you're in the position that they are in the standings and the position that they are organizationally, I, I think it makes I think that's for sure the best way to go about it. Yeah, the Knicks have done the same thing and they've struck out on every single guy that they've kind of <laughs> tried to bring back after not getting them in the lottery. But um Fred Katz, good stuff, my man. Um, any other final thoughts on uh, this Washington team or uh, moving forward as we head into Bubble League? Oh, man, I am just – I am eager to see the NBA's entire COVID plan and how, like, logistically this is going to work in the bubble. I am I'm so curious just to see how this whole thing is going to go. Yeah, I have uh, no expectations, but uh, it'll just be good to uh, to see a basketball going again. You got anything you need to plug? Yeah, just read the Athletic DC. You can go check out my work there. Uh, I have a, I always have stories up there, and uh, listen to Wizards After Dark. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a review on iTunes if you really love it. That always helps. Uh, and that's uh, that's all I got. All right, sounds good. Fred Cast the Athletic. 
Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week.